This is the Self-Taught or Not podcast with Dylan Israel and Eric Hanchett, where we teach you the do's and don'ts of software development from two software development professionals, one self-taught and one not. So today we are going to be talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is TypeScript. I really like TypeScript too, and this will be an interesting episode. There's a lot to TypeScript. I think in the last, I would, I want to say in the last year, maybe even year two, it's just blown up in popularity. It still hasn't hit the popularity in the React community, but I keep on hearing more and more people talk about it. For example, I was just listening to a podcast with Wes Boss, um, and he was saying how they don't use. This was like, I don't know, eight months ago. How they don't use TypeScript. They don't really talk about it. TypeScript's also one of those things that at first it was kind of like culty, like, you know, trendy a little bit. And they're like, we don't use it. And I swear the last episode I heard um, West Boss saying, oh yeah, I wrote my whole backend in TypeScript now. So I feel like it's it's starting to catch on more than just uh, the Angular community. It was the community that really embraced it at first because it, it's built into Angular 2+. plus. But now I, I feel like the React community in the last year or two is, is starting to really pick up on it too. You know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I kind of feel like it's done a 360 in that fashion as well. And I think part of that has been people, there's so much change in the front end that anything that you can blow off, you should. And um, naturally, uh, it starts, you know, once it starts in the front end, and this something can work in the back end and so on and so forth. But I think it takes a little bit of you have to deal with the issues that TypeScript are trying to solve. And then you're like, dude, I can't take this anymore. There's got to be a better way. And then you go and try it and you're like, oh, hey, this isn't as much of a pain as I think it's going to be. And I've heard a couple complaints from people who aren't super familiar with TypeScript just thinking it's going to be the biggest pain. And then once they actually dive into it, they start, they're like, dude, I love this. That's a good point. Yeah, that's the exact same thing that West Boss, Justin, uh, Talinsky, Scott Talinsky were saying in their podcast, like they thought it would be a huge pain to move over to TypeScript. And it's really not. It, it takes a little bit of a learning curve at the, the start just to understand how to create interfaces and types. And we'll get into that. But once you get going, you'll be like, where has this been all my life? <laughs> it, the, the hardest thing, and I, and I just want to mention this real quickly, is have you ever dealt with like a library you downloaded and you need to access it somehow and then you're digging through the documentation and you're like okay is it dot this or is it dot that and then the first time you use typescript and you're like use the intellisense in your whatever editor you're using you're like oh my that is so much nicer now i can just hit dot and i see all the methods and functions i can use and i can just hit enter and now i know it gives me the function definition that i need to enter in it's just it just makes me happy yeah and it's it's really just been one of those items that I've fallen in love with since day one. But have you uh, sort of on that same side of TypeScript, it's not the only statically typed sort of superset. There's also Flow. I have no experience with Flow. Have, have you uh, played around with it or, or know anything about it? No, I haven't used Flow at all. I know that's an, I think it's created by F- Facebook, right? And it, I, I don't so. think it's ever gained as much popularity as TypeScript. It certainly hasn't. And I think it's more of an alternative to, to, to TypeScript right now. But it has the same statically typed stuff. Yeah, and I, I believe TypeScript was created, is created and maintained by Microsoft, right? 
So yep, you have it's it's funny how we now have these tech companies sort of creating competing dev dependencies, like not even like products that they're trying to sell, but dev dependencies. And I don't think necessarily there's going to this is a space in which something's going to take over. Like the idea of having types isn't something that can really be improved upon too too much. It's like like we have frameworks right but really there's like three frameworks i kind of feel the same way about like these statically typed supersets where there's not going to be 20 of them right there's just going to be one two maybe three and one's going to sort of dominate until something comes along and like kicks it out um and, and typescript i think is one of the things that it does what it's supposed to do similar like npm and yarn right it's like it's a tool that does what it needs to do and so there's not really an edge case where you need to, there's going to be something that explodes to overtake it. I agree. Speaking of which, are you team Yarn or team NPM now? So I used Yarn for a little while. And it's funny because um, in the bootcamp my girlfriend's in, they use, uh, they use Yarn. I just use NPM nowadays because when I started to use Yarn, it had to do with the caching of uh, node modules. But NPM added that and I don't really know a reason to use yarn over npm and so the idea of like oh hey i just have to install this other dependency even if it's globally i just don't see the point of it if npm comes standard i don't have to worry about it so i mean i i don't know i don't know enough about it to be like yeah yarn's gonna convince me and that's sort of the same thing with like any of these things is like you have to a a degree showcase that something's better than what i'm currently using i mean what, what about you what are your thoughts yeah, I'm, I'm the same thing. I, I tried Yarn for a little bit, went back to NPM. Uh, I do see some some of just some of the advantages at the beginning with, with the caching, and, and it seemed like that may have been rolled back into to Node, the Node Package Manager. I, I know a, a lot, recently I was just working on a project. Oh, Vue. I was, I was compiling the latest version of Vue, Vue Next, and all the getting started guide was all using yarn and i know i could convert it over to npm but i'm like okay i'll just use yarn so i had to get yarn up and running on my box just so i could do this to get to test out view next which by the way speaking of typescript and view uh just anecdotally i have i do a lot of view tutorials on my youtube channel and i've seen a lot more people interested in me doing tutorials on typescript and view and especially with View 3 that's coming out very shortly, then how that's going to handle it all. So yeah, the, the, even in the Vue community, TypeScript support and TypeScript, people talking about TypeScript is is a lot more active. And really right now with Vue 2, TypeScript support is okay. Uh, the biggest issue is if you, the, this keyword that we use a lot in Vue isn't being inferred correctly. Um, so you have to do these weird like class-based view apps, which is quite a bit different, um, not to get on a tangent. But it, just to make the point that even in view, it's, it's, it's being uh, talked about a lot more. Yeah, to the, the earlier point about things, people sort of not liking TypeScript at first glance is, I think if you go just five years back, there uh, the majority of developers did not like items that were opinionated so you take a look at like something like angular you take some, a look at something like typescript these are very opinionated things it's like this is how you do this and this is how you do it right and i think part of the reason that sort of people are coming around to typescript is 
it sort of forces your hand a little bit. And be, because of that sort of very strong opinion, that it helps. One, I think, I think it helps you become a, a better developer. But two, it helps set you in the right direction instead of assuming that you know what direction to go into. And so I think a lot of people have been running in wrong directions a little bit with some of their apps and suffered. And the idea that, of adding TypeScript to it, um, which is relatively painless to take a JavaScript app and make it a TypeScript app, is something that's starting to appeal to people more and more. Yeah. Let's get into that. So can you, we've kind of been talking about it for eight minutes. I think most people listening right now knows what TypeScript is, but could you give like a rundown on on and what it is and your experience with it? Yeah, so TypeScript is what would be referred to as a superset of JavaScript. And so um, superset, I've honestly never used the word superset except when talking about like TypeScript. So it's essentially, it does everything JavaScript does and then some. And that then some is a essentially a statically typed language. So JavaScript is a language that is considered dynamically typed, which means that we can change our types Sort of willy-nilly. In most other programming languages, um, you wouldn't be able to change a string to a number and reassign that value without explicitly saying such things. JavaScript allows us to do some some wonky stuff, and one of the main criticisms of JavaScript is stuff like um, you know double equals versus triple equals, and be able to just compare values instead of types and values, and um, TypeScript will still let you do that. Obviously, your linter will go against that. But TypeScript allows us to create a lot of different constructs for readability purposes and uh, for our type purposes. So we know where everything stands and what data types that we're dealing with at the end of the day. I came from a Java background before I got into web development. And so I was doing a lot of more statically typed statically type programming. So um, what what kind of I mean by that, to go off of what Dylan was saying, we have static types and dynamic types. And, and with a statically typed language, your types are checked before runtime. And usually that's a compile process. So for example, Java's, Java, not JavaScript, but Java is compiled down and it's checked at that point and the types are checked to see if they make sense. And if they don't, usually the compiler throws an error. Now in Java, there's also a, a virtual machine, a VM, a JVM that actually runs it too. So it sort of gets run at runtime as well. But typically, like C++, C, Java for the most part, you write the code, you put types in like Boolean, int, uh, array, whatever. And then it compiles it and it gets checked. While a dynamically typed language, the type checking is on the fly during execution. So you can write terrible JavaScript. And let, this is probably one of the many criticisms of JavaScript there that's out there right now is that yeah, you can cut, you can create pretty, uh, pretty terrible JavaScript code. Lots of times JavaScript will just throw silent errors. They won't even tell you if there's a problem. And then you won't know until it's running in the web page that if there's a problem or not. So that's that's that happens. And now there is things, I don't know if you've used this, Dylan, but back in the day, everybody's like, when you write JavaScript code, make sure you use the, use the keyword strict, use strict. And it was like a way for beginners who are learning JavaScript to 
get more error catching. So when you use strict in your JavaScript, it throws errors when you're doing some like crazy things. Like if you do assignments that don't make sense or using global variables, it would throw errors. Have you ever used strict? Yeah, I I have. I would say um, that sort of became popular in like 2016, 2015, if I remember correctly. And now nowadays, I think it's uh, most browsers are whether you have that in there or not would uh, would essentially have it when you, it gets compiled. We'll say, hey, just have that. Um, but generally speaking, it's any anything that, and that's sort of what TypeScript is about is being stricter and and being a little less fluid at times where. Um, code can be too fluid and it causes issues and we start breaking principles like um, the single responsibility principle is probably the the one i see people break the most in code um, and i typescript generally will help you simplify some things yep uh, another kind of another thought about typescript that that i just came to mind is that one of the really powerful things about TypeScript is that essentially your code, when you're writing it, you get IntelliSense, which means that as you're writing, you can see what's ha- um, you can see errors, you can see uh, what's available for you, what you what methods and things are available for you, and it also kind of has good practice where if you set types on everything, then anytime you deal with something being passed into a method or anytime you're dealing with values, you kind of know what they are. And if you try to do assignments that don't make sense, you'll get errors from the TypeScript um, compiler. And it also, it just makes you write cleaner code. In fact, I've been in organizations where since we've used TypeScript, they've used that as a justification to not do as many unit tests. Because we know that if we are using typed systems, that uh, some of the basic errors and bugs that we would find if we're doing some really silly things in JavaScript will be caught by TypeScript. Yeah, and, and I know you don't agree with that. I know you don't agree with that, but you you must admit that it does make you less have you must less bugs. Yeah, and I I think people generally. Um, I mean, I to the sort of the the second point. I do think I, if you look at a couple stats, and I don't have any offhand, but every book I've read is like, hey, if you add statically typed versus dynamically typed it you know it'll show you that less bugs make it out to production because you're not having these coercion errors and job javascript's really forgiving <laughs> so it's like oh sure you're adding a number and an object cool we'll figure that out and it'll just put something out right um so you'll avoid that but i i do think it's a dangerous game to be like oh hey we don't need to write any tests for our code because TypeScript. Uh, when that's not really the use case it's it's trying to address although it is going to help which is um, sort of the opposite of what I think one of the main benefits of TypeScript is, is I, I think it by by using it, it's going to expose you to a lot of concepts and a lot of ideas that aren't included in JavaScript, but are included in uh, other languages and will expose you to a lot. And I think sometimes developers get too keen on thinking like, oh, they're only ever going to work in one language. It's a very naive thing where... Yeah, you you may start your career off in JavaScript, but you could be a C sharp dev four years from now, or Java dev, or PHP. Got pro- let's hope not PHP, but something <laughs> something else. Um, and TypeScript forces you to see some of these additional concepts that uh, just don't even exist in the JavaScript language. Yeah, uh, I think you're gonna dive into one, but I know one that 
that I, I enjoy if, is classes and kind of this object-oriented programming, programming way of thinking when you write your programs. This is really what we do in Java and C-sharp you had mentioned. So that kind of way of thinking. Now, you can do this in ES6 and the newer flavors of the JavaScript ECMAScript standard. But I think the negative part is till still TypeScript offers more things that we don't get in the newest versions of JavaScript. Like we don't have decorators yet, and you can do those in TypeScript. They don't, I don't believe you can do generics. That's in TypeScript as well. Um, so there's definitely a lot more things you can do. And also, some people have commented that the ES6 class specification is just syntactic sugar over the prototypical inheritance that normal JavaScript offers. Yeah, and th- th- that's definitely true. But you can really say that about anything. You could say, you know, JavaScript is just some syntactic sugar for the bits and bytes of zeros and ones that is happening in the <laughs> background, right? Um, but the reason that that exists is to be more readable, to be more um, consistent with maybe some other higher level languages. And like, I, I can tell you, it, it works from my experience as being a developer, but also when I was prepping April for her boot camp, she didn't understand. I did I did both examples. I said, hey, this is how you would do it with prototypes and just storing in variables and blah, 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 right? And then here's how you would do it with class. She's like, well, I understand the right one. Are you saying the first one's the same thing? I was like, yeah. <laughs> but it it's definitely much easier to read. But that's that's more ES6 stuff. Some of the stuff that I think is pretty cool, you had mentioned object-oriented programming. I think TypeScript lends itself very nicely to that. But it, it introduces you and makes it easier to do things like polymorphism and it makes and um, encapsulation and some of the items that JavaScript really just can't do, period. Yeah, it's really nice. You can definitely start extending. You can create abstract classes. And to Dylan's point earlier, if you're looking to be full stack and you're looking to do C Sharp or Java, which I think are probably the two biggest ones in the back end that use OOP, object-oriented programming, then learning TypeScript, learning how classes work, learning how interfaces work will really lend itself to your future career as a back-end developer. There is differences. I'll tell you that. Coming from Java to TypeScript, lots of differences, especially the way you think, but there's a lot of similarities too. Yeah, and obviously it's not going to be perfect, but I, I know from the majority of developers I've worked with that have transitioned from Java to JavaScript, they have a significantly easier time going from Java to TypeScript than to, you know, because it's it's instead of going from a statically to dynamic language, you're going static to static. And some things are going to um, relate that other things may not. So it's, you know, anything you can do to sort of keep that learning curve down uh, always helps. It's interesting you mentioned that it was easier to teach April the class syntax because I, I think it's easier, but I know the React community a few year ago, years, a couple of years ago, a year ago, rejected the class-based way of creating React apps, and they have totally and completely moved over to the hooks-based system. And for Vue, we, um, when they were, Evan Yu, the creator of Vue, was creating Vue 3, there was a proposal to use a class-based system and he rejected it and decided to do more of like a hooks-based system 
uh, as as well, uh, sort of like hooks, although it's still completely backwards compatible to view view two. So I think the JavaScript community is still uh, divided on this issue of classes. So I I think the obviously the Angular team and and the Angular world has decided classes are the way to go, but I think that there's still a lot of of fighting of of what's the best way to do it. And I also think in the Vue two community, I think they were going to implement it using the ES six classes, and it doesn't offer enough. Like ES six is not implemented well enough right now for what they wanted to do. So there was you would have to have more libraries to do decorators and things like that, and they decided against it. Yeah. Everyone wants to have an opinion. That's it's a great thing. Some are right, some are wrong. You know, like it's, it's uh, but uh let's talk about some of the uh features that TypeScript offers. So are some of the items that you may not know exist if you all you've ever worked in is JavaScript, right? So we had briefly mentioned access modifiers and encapsulation, or I guess we mentioned encapsulation slash access modifiers. And one of the great things about TypeScript is it helps you clearly define scope of things. One of the reasons you don't use globals, for instance, is it can be corrupted in such a large scope, right? Anywhere in the app, it can get corrupted. And so by adding some encapsulation to limit where some of our code can be called from, it helps helps to lower the potential impact. So generally, when we're talking about encapsulation, we're talking about public, which anything can call it, private, which only the um, the class of with of which you're in can invoke said function or property. And then you have protected, which is a little bit weird. And it's hard to understand uh, for some people who are, are, are not familiar with it. But essentially, it, a cla- the parent class can call it within itself, but you can't call the instantiation from it. But if a child has the same method that extends off of it, that child can then call itself and other people can call it from that child. Yeah, that, that that's um, I, I I'm sad to say this, but when I first jumped into Angular and I was learning it, and I created my first few Angular apps. I we didn't use any encapsulation. We we didn't use any public private. It was just whatever the default was. <laughs> we didn't use it at all. Yeah, that's a, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's one thing that I think Ang- where TypeScript failed. Um, so if you take a language like C sharp and you don't actually define a um. Uh, access modifier, it's private by default. Uh, TypeScript does the inverse of that and makes it public by default, which I think is a mistake. I think, and I, I think the reason they did that was to make the barrier of entry a little bit easier for people who are just getting up and going, right? They, access modifiers, I don't want to think about it, I'll think about it later sort of thing. That was what they just want people to start using it. Well, I think the, the better long term play is to get people to start thinking about it. And you can you can actually do this in your web applications. I've I've turned it on in the web apps that I work on so that people have to actually define public instead of just assuming that it's going to be there. Define whatever modifier they're going to be using. Because I, I personally want developers to think about, you know, what is what is this supposed to be? What is the best use case for this? I um by the way, I think in Java it defaults to protected if i'm right if i'm correct if you don't put a an access modifier on there um i know that we did in in our work we set up our you can set up linting rules and by the way 
Uh, TSLint used to be the linter that you use for TypeScript, but it's being deprecated, and now ESLint is being taken over by it. But regardless of the fact, you can set up your ESLint rules or TSLint rules so that it kind of gives you an error on everything. Like you can't compile, like your web page won't even load if any little tiny thing's wrong. And I think you can set that up. Yeah, you can set up like you have to have public or you have to have different modifiers and things. So which I have never done that far, but I do have a higher lint setting like that a lot more errors show up. Yeah, um, I tend to have pretty strict lint settings. I think um, I think it's better to be more strict than loose. But I, I definitely know that some of the developers I worked with find me annoying because <laughs> I've set that up on the projects. But uh, um, it kind of goes back to our conversation about doing code reviews and code quality. If you have, if you can set as much as you can in your linting settings to prevent people from doing stupid things. And it will stop them and they can't either build or, or they can't compile or, or submit their pull request without an error, then better off too. Because when it gets to the code review side and then you're nitpicking little things, a lot of developers uh, dislike that and it's a harder, it's an uphill battle at that point. But if you can make it a built-in rule somewhere where they can't submit it unless they fix it, then they're more likely to fix it. Yeah, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm very big on automation. So like, in the web apps I, I work on, I recently added like a spell check. Like literally you have to spell things right or you can't even submit a PR. So um, similar to how we can set some of these lint settings and whatnot, if there's anything in your web apps that you can automate, I highly suggest that you do so that it just becomes part of the process. Now, I think you should have a conversation unless you're the tech lead, right? You don't want to just be adding stuff to the, the web app all willy-nilly. And even as a tech lead, you probably want to get some input. But Definitely something to consider. All right, so uh, a couple other modifiers or encapsulation that we didn't talk about would be the read-only modifier, which essentially makes something, as you might imagine, read-only, uh, which is really helpful for some of those unique values that there is zero chance you're going to override, such as maybe a primary key for an object uh, or um, you know, an array that you don't want to be resetting but still is public right um so you can have a public something public but it is only read only and then we have the um the static uh access modifier as well yeah i've used read only a few times in some of my apps i think one of the kind of clean code principles out there is to not use magic numbers i mean if you have just a random magic number in your app then you probably should pull that out into its own property or, or its own variable somewhere and define it. That way, you just have one place where it's at and one place you can change it. And if it never changes, maybe putting that read-only modifier at is, is a good idea. Yeah, and also to the to that point, when we talked about lint settings, that's another thing that you can turn on in your linters, no magic numbers. And the reason you would do something like that is to give it a descriptive variable name, right? You might go and look at something and it might be a 0.1, right? Times 0.1 and you're like, what the hell is this 0.1 represent? It may have made sense when you wrote it, you know, a year ago, but jumping back into to solve a, a minor bug or something, you're trying to uh, debug what the code is, what the code means. You can put that in there so that you could say, oh, the 0.1 is actually, you know, let's say it's a uh, 
monthly interest calculator or whatever it is, you just store that in a const and throw read only on it and call it, call it a day so that you're lends yourself to that more clean code um, and readability, which kind of what TypeScript is all about. You, it allows you to look at your code and read exactly what the type is and um, you know, sort of see who has access to it or what rather has access to it. I've, I've worked in code bases where it's insanely complicated with tons of magic numbers everywhere and it you look at it and you're like, oh my God, I have no idea what, like, how did they get 0.725? Like, what does this mean? <laughs> like, you have no idea. And of course, it's probably none of these code bases are ever really well documented either. Yeah, I think it, I think one of the things that unfortunately happens quite a bit is that a lot of projects get started that are supposed to be like one offs. Like, I don't know how many times I've been told something's going to be a one off, and then before I know it, I'm working on it for a year. It's like, yeah, it's just a one-month project. Don't worry about it. So I think it's very important to start figuring out what tools you like and what tools add some strictness to the code base and start off strong. Like, it's much harder to add these things to an existing code base than uh, to go and say, okay, cool. I'm just going to go crazy with the with the linter, with the TypeScript settings, with, you know, quality control. And we can always pull them back, but it's going to be, tenfold harder to you know add it later on mm-hmm. you know i'm um, thinking of this and you might be covering this in a minute but the two most ones the the types that i use the most probably are interfaces and classes what do you and of course the the normal variable declarations where i declare things as strings or objects or or booleans do you, I mean, I think those three things, doing variable declarations, interfaces, classes, and what you've already talked about, access modifiers, are kind of like the low-hanging fruit of TypeScript that you start doing right away. And uh, we can jump in what they are, too, for people yeah. that are listening. I would say you've left out actually two major ones. And I, I, we've talked a bit about interfaces, and we'll, we'll dive into that deeper and why I don't like them. But uh, one thing that I like quite a bit are enums. So enums... Uh, for people who don't know, essentially there are numbered enums and string enums, and typically I use string enums to store um, magic strings and provide context. That's really what an enum is. It's an object in which it has keys to provide context for something, right? Your database might have um, a value of 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, and each one of those might rese- resemble a payment type, for instance. So you might have a payment type enum in your app, and that could be MasterCard, Visa, American Express, so on and so forth. And then you have context to say, okay, this is what zero and and one and so on and so forth is. And so enums I use all the time to capture that context as well as to make it more readable. If, you know, if we say is equal equal to zero, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and goes back to our whole magic number thing. But if we say payment types.mastercard we we have a much cleaner and more readable understanding of what it does to play devil's advocate here why couldn't you just create a variable name called payment types mastercard camel cased so you definitely could um and that that's one option although and it's a better option than doing a magic number but the the issue becomes is that oftentimes we are going to be using such 
items as this payment type MasterCard in multiple locations. And so we want it to exist in a single location to lower the chance of error. And even if it's just a single file, that single file may be used in multiple additional spots, such as like your test file. You should be testing it and you want to say, okay, cool, let me pass in you know XYZ payment type and then test it using this enum as well. And it's sort of, it's yeah, it's going to be in a, a, a different file and you may not use it immediately, but typically when you're having these values, everything always grows in scope. And, and you, you'll find that you're going to sort of prevent yourself from shooting yourself in the foot by doing said things. Although the, the more common scenario that people will say is, uh, why not just create an object that you're importing, exporting? And at the end of the day, enum compiles down to an object. And it's a valid thing. But again, it's about providing context and adding some of these structures that are not there. And um, I think uh, enums and in that sense are, are fantastic. Now, this is what you do. You you take your, your variables you want to share throughout the app. And you just you throw those suckers on the window object. Yeah. Problem. Solved. You, yeah, you, yeah, you you say that and and everyone's everyone's laughing like, "Oh, that would never happen." It happens, people. And then like <laughs> trust trust me, it happens all the time and it breaks applications and it's been the cause of rewrites uh because it's been so, you know, it gets corrupted so so hard. Um but uh yep. the the other item that that you didn't mention that I think is worth mentioning is abstract classes. And that is something that you will never even know exists if you've never worked in something other other than JavaScript, but it's one of the more powerful items of object-oriented programming and lends itself nicely to polymorphism, lends itself nicely to creating base classes, which I think too often people um too often people sort of how to put this, um don't think enough about like, oh, well, yeah, they sort of have some correlation, but I'm not sure how to do it. And I don't want to instantiate that class. Um, abstract classes are really great for that. I find myself using them more and more frequently, especially as um, I start integrating things like the dependency inversion principle uh, of the solid principle so that we can make sure that we depend on definitions and not on uh, implementations in our, in our code base. In my day to day, I had never created an abstract class ever, in, at least in an Angular app I was working in. But I've had some coworkers have, and I've looked at that code, and and I definitely see like they were taking code that was kind of common to all the different classes, and they're putting it all in this abstract class, and they were able to do some neat things. Readability wise, I was always like. A couple of times I was looking at the class like, where did this variable come? And then I had to go and look at the extended and look at the abstract class like, oh, it's from here and this is how they're doing this. But I could definitely see it just simplifies things and, and lends itself to the, you know, don't repeat yourself dry principle too in some places. Yeah, I mean, it's a, It works a lot different in Java, I feel you, like. You definitely don't want to abuse it because one of the issues, like I typically try to use implements versus extends and they provide context for people who maybe aren't super familiar with that object-oriented program when you extend something you're essentially inheriting the values and methods and you don't need to re-implement them in your child class so if i have a user and then i have like an admin user that inherits from user if i implement that all the properties all the methods i have to then give their own declaration an admin user and so you can see it there while if i extend that i don't have to do anything it's still going to have access to that and so abstract classes give you the option of of um, 
implementing or extending it, but typically you're going to use the AppShark class when you want to extend something um, and not actually instantiate it itself. So you, you got to be careful because sometimes you can go down the path of um, making something sort of too magic where you're like, yo, man, why why can't it do this? I don't see anything in here that, <laughs> that showcases that. Right. Yeah. So it's it's kind of confusing. There's definitely a difference between when you're using abstract classes, like Dylan said, between implementing and extending. Uh, I think that was a pretty succinct answer to it. In other languages, we use interfaces as more as the um, implementing because it's because you think of it almost like a contract, and so you are kind of implementing that contract inside your class. While in the other hand, when you're extending something, you're like Dylan said, you're just kind of adding to it. So you would say you use implement more. Yes, and that's because or extend I, more. I, was not I know sure. I, I use implement more. Um, I or excuse me, yeah, implement. Sorry, <laughs> I use implement more because I want to actually write out what it's using, and I want classes to to see what's happening. Part of the other thing about that is you start seeing if something gets too large relatively quickly, where maybe you're in your third or fourth uh, nested sort of like inheritance, and you start seeing like, wow, this thing has fifty base level properties. Apparently, I'm doing something wrong. Well, if you are extending it, you're like, oh, I'm only adding. You know, this thing has seven. That's still a large amount, but it's not a super large amount. You start seeing like maybe I need to start rethinking my my objects and my models. Do you use any of the other TypeScript ones? Like I've, I've been trying to uh, learn generics, and I kind of watched a few, a few YouTube videos, but I haven't found a place to use it yet. There's also iterators and generators, and symbols, and then you can even create your own namespaces. But it, and I've learned a little bit about decorators, and I've but I haven't really used it a lot in my day to day job. Yeah, I don't I don't use generics too much. I actually kind of find generics to be somewhat of a anti-pattern to TypeScript, which there there's going to be types that are going to be a little bit more fluid. That's just the nature of code, right? Um so I I I don't really have a use case. I definitely have used them once or twice and it's usually been someone wrote something and then I had to do that to make it work. Um but I have used some of the cooler stuff like partial uh, which allows you to inject only part of an object or it only has to relate to some of it. And, um, you know, I like the um, return types or something I'm I'm very big on as well. I think that's a cooler function of TypeScript that people seem to hate uh, as well, where you can actually say what a function is going to be returning. Yeah, that that's, that's pretty nice. That's interesting, generics. Yeah, generics allow you to almost create types that are inferred that you don't have an exact type to them. So it, it, it is a little bit of a different way of thinking. Uh, but you, in, interesting, interesting. I haven't used partials yet either, and that seems like something I should learn. Yeah, partials nice where, hey, I need to, I don't really care if the whole object comes through, if there's just part of it, um, pass that in. Uh, omit is another uh, one that I've used recently where we were creating a, essentially created an NPM um, yup repo. Yup is a um, a schema validation uh, library that makes sure that your database has a certain values or you're passing certain values to your uh, API calls uh, and that it's going to validate that. And we used omit to 
rip out some of the values that we don't uh, want to be called elsewhere, but still need to be part of the original object. So there's a lot of these. Um, God, I'm forgetting the name of like partial. They they're not types ex- ex- exactly. They're um, I'm forgetting the, what TypeScript calls them, but essentially they're um, they're sort of like helper functions almost, uh, where it say, hey, for this types, we're going to treat it slightly differently. I like that. Uh, one other thing I'm thinking of. Let's go back to to interfaces for a moment. So the way I use interfaces, and I, this is funny because I think between me and Dylan, we use TypeScript a little differently, and I think there's probably not a right way or wrong way to do it. And, and as we both level up, we're probably going to be using different functions, different ways to using it. Um, but like in ty- in interfaces, the way I've used it is whenever we have like some complicated object that we're returning, like it's being returned from a server and we, we expect it to be in this format, we might slap a interface on that object um, that we receive back. And now we have access through IntelliSense, the, everything that's in it. And then if we, if there, if we try to access something that we didn't define in the interface, then it usually throws an error at us. And that way we know that that's probably a bug because we didn't define an interface. And you don't have to do this just with objects that are returning back from server. It could be any sort of data object that you want to capture information in. And so as you grow your apps, you're going to find out that you have lots of pieces of information and there's different ways of organizing it and being able to slap an interface onto it and basically that defines it, then you have better idea what's in it and how you can access it and what you can do with it. And that's kind of how I use them. And also it's 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 a good point to note that what thing what TypeScript does is it looks through everything you've written in your TypeScript file and it compiles it back to JavaScript. And that compile part will see the interfaces and I believe it just throws those all those interfaces out the door <laughs> after it does the check to make sure that what you did is right. So it gets compiled out. Well, on the other hand, you can, and I think Dylan's going to talk more about this in a second, is you can try to structure the data as classes. And so you're almost creating and instantiating a class which you pass the data into, and then it can be accessed using the the object or the, the class itself. Yeah, and that's part of why I don't like interfaces is it just kicks that shit out. Uh, which is, which is is fine, but it doesn't inf- it enforces it at compile time, but not necessarily at, at like runtime, right? And so, like, I like using classes uh, mainly because I I like to. Um, it, I think it hel- also helps to future proof where instead of just saying what this type is, we might be able to have helper uh, methods as well, and we can set default values where hey, this is supposed to be an array. I'll check to see if this value that we passed in is actually an array. And if it's not, I'll set it to be an empty array so that it doesn't blow up the rest of my application and sort of gracefully fails in that edge case. Um, but that's that's typically why I, I tend to avoid interfaces and, and prefer um, using classes and actually, um, especially when it's coming from a third-party resource like an API, I think it uh, makes it a little bit safer in the application. By the way, if you are working with a team lead um, and they're like Dylan, expect every single, anything that's an object that has data in it, you're going to have to label it as either an interface or class. Yeah. And <laughs> and that's probably, it's probably good practice. 
But you, you'll find out as your apps grow larger and you're dealing with lots of different data types, data, data that creating those interfaces and classes um, is in even classes, it just takes a, a longer amount of time to do things. While in the past, you might be used to working JavaScript and just you know, slap something together really quickly. But when you have to go back and add interfaces, then things take a little bit longer, but it, it should help you in the long term of catching more bugs. Yeah, and it I don't think it's... It's sort of like the same thing with testing. The first thing people complain about is, I'm never going to get anything done if I don't do this and that. It's like, it actually typically speeds things up once you go and do it. And it's not... I mean, you're only going to be creating one or two models at a time. And it's not going to be something that's going to take you more than 20 to 30 minutes tops to go and say, oh, cool, I created this model that I can now pass this into and created this type and so on and so forth. Um, especially one thing I'm really worried about is, and I, this is a cool feature that other languages have, but in, in the most recent version of TypeScript, and uh, I believe this is happening in uh, JavaScript as well in the next year or so, is the optional chaining or null, null coalescent operator which essentially, instead of having to do if object, if object.property, if object.property.property, you can use the um, the question mark like you've been able to do in Angular templates to, to check that. I'm even more worried about it moving forward because of because of uh, because of that that people are going to be a little more wishy washy with their types because they have these things that will fail a little bit more gracefully than they have in the past. I did hear about that. That's really cool. Is it in the latest version of TypeScript already? Yeah. When um, so TypeScript's in version as as of recording this three point seven, which is what Angular nine, which came out about three days before recording this as well. So it's in that now. And I I thought I saw that in the twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one edition of JavaScript. It's going to be in there as well, which is probably why they're adding it. That's really cool. I know one thing that a lot of people do. I do this is if you're working with something and you don't know if it's instantiated or not, or if it's null or not. So you might have to do these, these checks in these objects. Well, you might have this, uh, you know, color, or let's say let's, it's a car object and you have this car dot color, you know, there is a car dot color, but sometimes you card car dot color doesn't exist or maybe car dot color paint doesn't exist. So you do these if operators where if car and ampersand ampersand car dot paint and and car dot color dot paint and if all three of those are true then you go into the to do what you want to do. And I think that's pretty common if you want to um, check an object to make sure it's structured correctly. And now you could do something like if car dot a car question mark dot paint question mark dot blog question mark and then it won't throw an error if one of those is undefined yeah a lot of a lot of cool stuff and um i just actually did it in the uh playground and it generates a whole bunch of javascript code for that <laughs> so it kind of <laughs> scares me um but it, it's a it's a nice feature that i think will stop some additional bugs coming in there's a another way to check for that isn't there like an object is property like you're just saying or i can't yeah. remember yeah, they, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways you can check for that, but that, but that's on one level deep, I believe. So, like, if you're going multi-level deeps, a multi-level deep, you then have to write a recursive function to to handle that. So, you know, in, in a side tangent, and I know we're wrapping up here in a second, but uh, I did, I was looking at Angular nine, trying to upgrade one of my apps to it, and I found that some 
code out there, some third-party libraries aren't IV ready. Have you heard this? Like they're not IV ready yet, and you have to turn off the IV compiler for them to work. And then I had one library that just threw an error every time, even with the IV compiler off. Hmm. I'm like, oh my god, this. So upgrading to, to Angular nine for the ten people that are listening that that are doing this, uh, not so easy so far for me. No, I didn't know about that, but that's I appreciate that because that's something I'm doing next week. <laughs> Um, it, it it does reduce the bundle size though. That's like they're another reduce uh, reduction of the bundle size, especially for larger apps. They're they're finding ways of like taking out Angular, and so you don't have to have so much of that runtime. Because in the past, when you created Angular apps, even after you like minified it and and did all that, you're still looking like 200k sometimes. And and they've every release they've kind of cut that down. Yeah. Um. Okay. I- I don't have anything else to say about TypeScript. Uh, are we uh, we good here? Yeah, I'm good. All right, check it out. TypeScript's the shit. <laughs> Leave it on that. Yep. Hey, guys, thanks for watching. If you want to find more about what I'm up to, go to dylanisrael.com. And if you want to know what I'm up to, you can check out my website at eric.video. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And if you do, you might even be featured on our next episode. Don't forget to check out the website at selftaughtornot.com. From there, you can sign up for a mailing list where we give away free courses and a bunch of cool stuff. And we'll also let you know when the next episode comes out. And finally, if you didn't know, we have a Facebook group. It's called Code, Tech, and Caffeine. We have over 10,000 members. And you can find the link at selftaughtornot.com. So come join us. We have tons of developers willing to help you guys, mentor you guys. Check it out. Just make sure you go to selftaughtornot.com and check out the Code Tech and Caffeine link. Thanks and take care.